When I set out to refute Christianity to make an intellectual joke of it, I realized one of the things I had to do was undermine the authority of the Word of God of the Scriptures. And so I struggled and I tried to do everything I could to explain away the Bible, that it was not historically accurate or reliable. And it backfired on me. And I can hold this book in my hand and say it is the Word of God, it is true, and it's accurate historically. Let me share with you some of the things that I found as I tried to make a joke out of Christianity and the Word of God. When it came to the Bible, there were two questions that I struggle with. The first question was this. Is what we have today in the Bible what was written down 2,000 years ago? Or has it been changed like a lot of people claim that it has been? Now there's a second question that I even struggled more with. And the question is this. Was what was written down true? Or was it a lie? So here are the two questions. Is what we have today what was written down? And second, was what was written down true? Because if it wasn't true, then I could care less about what was written down today and transcribed down through the years. Whenever you examine any piece of literature of history to see if it's historically accurate or reliable, you apply an historiography. A part of any good historiography is what is called the bibliographical test. Now, what is the bibliographical test? That is a test that asks questions about the manuscripts of any piece of literature, not just the Bible, but any piece of literature of history. Now, what is a manuscript? Now, a manuscript, by definition, is a handwritten copy over against a printed copy. In other words, manuscripts took place before the introduction of the movable type printing press in the 1500s by Gutenberg. Before then, everything had to be done by hand. Now, here is one of the problems. Manuscripts would deteriorate, they would disintegrate, they would disappear because they were written on material that would perish. The majority of the New Testament manuscripts was written on a material called papyrus. This is a sheet here that was made recently in Egypt. And what this is, it's slices from the papyrus reed that has grown in the very shallow waters of the Nile River. And they would take and slice these reeds, crisscross them, and then with glue imprint them and press them in to quite a durable paper. But the problem is the papyrus will start to deteriorate and it'll rot away. So then they'd have to copy another manuscript from it. And then from that as it would start to deteriorate, they would copy another manuscript. So when it comes to the manuscripts of any piece of literature, and today we're looking at the Bible, there's two questions that you ask of the copies because you don't have the originals. All the originals have been destroyed in the sense that they deteriorated and they rotted away. And to show you how fragile uh, something like papyrus is, one man found a small piece of the New Testament. And he was so excited, he took it outside of the cave and he lifted up to the sunlight to look at it and it deteriorated, just disintegrated right before his eyes. That is how fragile the papyrus becomes after a number of years and it's exposed to light and oxygen.
So the first question he asks is this. From the original uh, copy, how far is the first copy removed from it? You say, what do you mean? Well, they would copy a manuscript, and then that would last so long. And then that would deteriorate. And so the question is, the copy you now have, how far distant-wise, time-wise, is it removed from the original? Now, the rule of thumb, meaning it's not always true, but most of the time it is, the closer of the copy to the original, the autographer, the greater the accuracy. That's not always true, but most of the time it is. I have learned whenever I study the Bible to see if it's accurate, the best thing I could do is compare it, first of all, with other literature of antiquity. Why? The more I see the Bible in the light of other literature, the more I realize how unique the Bible is in its survival and its accuracy through history. Let me show you what I mean. You take Pliny the Younger, Plinius Segundus. From the time he wrote to the closest manuscript is 750 years. Everything in between has been lost. You take Caesar and the Gallic Wars in the first century. From the time Caesar wrote to the closest manuscript, a thousand years. Everything else has been lost. And then Plato, a thousand two hundred years. Aristotle wrote his poetics around 343 BC. And do you realize the closest manuscript is 1100 AD? That's a thousand four hundred years from the original of Aristotle and the poetics to the closest copy. And then with Sophocles, 1,400 years. Euripides, 1,500 years. Many people consider Thucydides one of the most accurate historians of antiquity. And yet most people don't realize from the time Thucydides wrote to the closest manuscript is 1,500 years. When it comes to the Bible, we go back to within 80 years of the time of Christ. With the John Ryland papyri, 125 AD, Chester Beatty papyri, called papyri because they were done on the papyrus paper. The Chester Beatty papyri, and then the Alexandrius, the Vaticanic, Vaticanus, uh, other copies. You say, what are those? Some of those are entire copies of the New Testament, but all within two to three hundred years of the original. When it comes to the comparison of the Bible to any other literature of history, there is more evidence time-wise for the reliability of the scriptures than any 10 pieces of classical literature combined. You say, now wait a minute. How do you determine the age of a manuscript? There are several ways to do that. One, of course, is the type of material that is done on. With the type of material, you can go back in history and determine more or less what years it was prepared. And then the letters, sizes, and the forms. You say, now, what do you mean by that? Well, down through the years, the way they printed changed. And every number of years, they would change how they formed the letter or the sizes of the letter. And through studying the form, you can pretty well determine the age of a manuscript. The punctuation, the text division. See, a lot of people don't realize that the way your Bible is divided is not the way it was in the original. In the original, many of the verses and the chapters just ran together. And down through the years, they would divide the text differently. And according to the division, you can go back and determine a pretty good historical parameter 
for when a manuscript was done. Then have you ever uh, picked up an old book? And I know in Russia and many other countries I've been in, you find a lot of old books. And you open them up. And inside, with the first chapter, there's often uh, some type of graphic, a very colorful, often in color, a graphic, or the first letter of the word is done artistically. And they did those on the old manuscripts. And by studying the graphic or the artistic design, you can pretty well determine uh, the dating of a manuscript. And then also, the color, the texture of the document will help to date it. Those are just some of the ways that you determine the age of a manuscript. So the first question uh, of any manuscript is, what is the distance? The second question, how many manuscripts do you have? You see, the more manuscripts you have, the easier it is to take these manuscripts and reconstruct the original. When you only have several manuscripts, it's difficult to do that. When you have hundreds of manuscripts, it's so much easier to, to determine the exact text of the original. Again, let's compare it with secular literature. For example, with the secular literature, Caesar and the Gallic Wars, only 10 manuscripts survive. Everything else has deteriorated and been lost historically. Of Pliny the Younger, seven manuscripts survive. All the others have been lost. And then Plato, seven manuscripts. Uh, Thucydides, as I said before, many people consider one of the most accurate historians, only eight manuscripts survive. Herodotus, the fifth century BC Greek historian, only eight manuscripts survive. Of Herodotus, eight manuscripts. Of Euripides, nine manuscripts. Aristotle, the Poetics, 49 manuscripts. When it comes to the New Testament, and just the New Testament, we now have 24,633 manuscripts. There's no close second. Now think of this. Of just the New Testament, over 24,000, do you know what the number two book is in all of history and manuscript authority? It's the Iliad by Homer. And it's about the same size as the New Testament. 643 manuscripts survive. Now that's number two. And to me, I never realized this until I set, set out to refute the scripture that of the New Testament, there's 24,633 manuscripts. And the number two book in all of history in manuscript authority is the Iliad with 643 manuscripts. Again, men and women, there is no close second to the scriptures in manuscript authority. And what it does with such an abundance of manuscripts, you can take all these manuscripts and recreate the New Testament with a tremendous exactitude. But you know what? This is something that I found out when I set out to refute the Bible. You can take every Bible in the world and destroy it. Take every manuscript and destroy it. Now listen carefully. Without any Bibles, without any manuscripts, I can reconstruct the entire New Testament except for 11 verses. You say, now wait a minute. Without any Bibles, without any manuscripts? Yes. This is what I learned. 
the early church fathers and scholars, writing within 100 to 200, 250 years of Christ, they, when they would do a talk or they'd write a message or send a, letters, a letter out to the churches, they would copy from the scriptures. And I've been able to document now of just the early church fathers quoting the scriptures 86,489 times. Now you have to realize of these 86,000 plus uh, copying of the scriptures was not just one verse. Sometimes it included two, three, four chapters every time they quoted the Bible. And taking these 86,489 quotations, <clears throat> you can reconstruct all but 11 verses of the entire New Testament without any manuscripts and without any Bibles. I believe the New Testament is the only book in the world that you can do that with. I... I think that I can hold the Bible in my hand and say, I have today what was written down 2,000 years ago. Dr. F.F. F. Bruce, who was the famous New Testament scholar at Manchester University, spent his entire lifetime examining the manuscripts and writing and studying the New Testament, made this observation. Dr. F.F. F. Bruce said, the evidence for our New Testament writings is ever so much greater than the evidence for almost all other writings of classical authors. The authenticity of these other authors, of which no one dreams of questioning. And then he concludes, Dr. Bruce says, and if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt, end quote. Sir Frederick Kenyon, who was a curator at the British Museum. He was rated the number one expert in the world on manuscripts. And Dr. Kenyon made this observation about the copies in comparison to the original and the factor that leads to their trustworthiness. Sir Frederick Kenyon wrote, the interval then between the dates of the original composition and the earliest existing evidence becomes so small to be in fact negligible and the last foundation of any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. And then he went on to conclude, both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. End quote. We have today what was written down 2,000 years ago. And if you can't trust that, then you would have to throw out all literature of antiquity. Now, the next question. Was what was written down true? Can we trust it that it was what actually happened in the life of Christ and what he said? I believe we can, and let me share with you why. When it comes to the writers of the New Testament, there's often two issues that are overlooked. And I want to look at these in detail. The first is this. The writers of the New Testament wrote as eyewitnesses or they recorded eyewitness accounts. Let me repeat that. 
the writers of the New Testament, they wrote as eyewitnesses or they recorded eyewitness accounts. Let me illustrate that in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the, Luke writes, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. They said that for 40 days they walked with him, they lived with him, they ate with him after the resurrection with many convincing proofs. And then in 1 John 1, it says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard with the ears, we have seen with our eyes, and we have handled with our hands. You can't get much closer. And then in 2 Peter 1, verse 16, the apostle Peter wrote this, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales. You know what amazes me? I will meet with so many professors and students in the university, and they'll say, oh, back in the New Testament time, they'd believe anything. They'd believe myths and legends and tales. Look, they were as smart back there as we are today. They knew the difference between fact and fiction, between tales and truth. And listen to what Peter said here. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales. They knew the difference between the tales and the truth. It says, when we made known to you the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ... But we were eyewitnesses. They wrote as eyewitnesses. In John 20, 30 and 31, it says, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed. Now, why did Jesus perform signs? He performed signs to confirm his deity, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And it says here, many other signs Jesus performed that haven't even been recorded. But then the apostle John writes this, but these, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And what he does, he points out that many of the signs that were recorded and weren't recorded were done in the presence of the apostles and the writers of the New Testament. They wrote as eyewitnesses. And then Luke. Luke is now considered one of the most accurate historians of antiquity. Now, he was not an eyewitness. He recorded eyewitness accounts, and that's important. Notice what Luke says. In Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, he writes this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses, it seemed fitting for me as well, Luke writes that, it seems fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, from those who were eyewitnesses, to write out for you in, ex in consecutive order the exact truth of the things that happened among us. Luke did not write as an eyewitness, but he recorded eyewitness accounts. The second issue with the New Testament is that the writers not only wrote as eyewitnesses, but they recorded these, this evidence and presented it in the presence of hostile witnesses. You say, now what do you mean by that, Josh? Well, they not only wrote as eyewitnesses, but in the presence of hostile witnesses, they threw the very facts that they were talking about back onto the lap 
of their listeners and their readers and said, you know what I'm talking about. When I go into a debate, one of the things I do is appeal to the knowledge of my opponent about what I am saying. And when you do that, you better be accurate or it'll be shoved right back down your throat. And yet this is what happened with the New Testament. It was presented in the presence of very knowledgeable people who knew the life of Jesus, knew what he said, knew what he did, and if they would have dared to have departed from the facts, it would immediately had a corrective element to point out that Jesus had not said that or did not do that. Look in Acts 2.22. Here, Peter is before a very hostile Jewish audience, and he makes this statement. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God. Notice what he did. He said, we not only saw this, but you did too. Which God performed through him miracles and wonders, which you yourselves know. Now I'll tell you this. If that Jewish audience had not seen those miracles, those wonders, those signs, Peter would have been lucky to have made it out of there alive. But what happened historically? Historically, it shows us that thousands were added to the church. To me, this is one of the most powerful built-in safety factors for truth, is that the truth is presented in the presence of knowledgeable witnesses, that if you dared to depart from the facts, they would immediately correct you. When it comes to the New Testament, it was presented in the presence of people who knew Jesus, who knew the facts, and immediately could be corrected. Well, look in Acts 26, verses 24 to 26. Paul was brought before the king. And Paul begins to make a defense of the deity of Christ, the resurrection, and presenting it to the king. And while Paul was saying this in this defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. Now notice what Paul does. Now Paul throws a whole argument back on the lap of the king. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. If the king did not know of these facts that Paul talked about, immediately he would have put Paul out. And so I believe that we not only have what was written down, but I've started to touch on the issue that what we have is true. And starting with that, let me recap it, is they wrote as eyewitnesses when it came to the New Testament, and they not only wrote as eyewitnesses, they appealed to the knowledge of their listeners concerning the evidence and the facts that they spoke of. Dr. F.F. F. Bruce went on to explain how valuable hostile witnesses are when it comes to checking out the truth of statements. Dr. F.F. F. Bruce, who before I said was a New Testament scholar and spent his entire life studying the transcripts and the manuscripts, made this statement. It was not friendly eyewitnesses that the early preachers had to reckon with. There were others less well disposed who were also conversant with the main facts of the ministry and death of Jesus. 
the disciples could not afford to risk inaccuracies, let alone to speak of willful manipulation of the facts. Why? Which would at once be exposed by those who would only be too glad to do so. On the contrary, one of the strong points in the original apostolic preaching is the confident appeal to the knowledge of the hearers. They not only said, we are witnesses of these things, but also, as you yourselves know. And then he makes this tremendous observation. Had there been any tendency to depart from the facts in any material respect, the possible pressure of hostile witnesses in the audience would have served as a further corrective. The New Testament community is probably the best source of accuracy for the New Testament because here is a whole community of believers and then outside that community of believers were non-believers. And yet when the apostles preached and they recorded in the New Testament, it was done and presented in the community of people who were still alive who had known Jesus and would immediately have said, yes, that happened, or that did not happen. That is a lie. I believe the New Testament community is the best corrective for any falsehood that could ever come into the Scriptures. In the next session, I want to go further on how we know that what was written down was true.